0: So I think I just really, really enjoy it and that's probably why I've stayed in it uh, because I enjoy it regardless of where I come. Although that does help, it's a massive part of it. If you do well, you want to keep doing well and come back. But yeah,
1: I've got good friends, so that's
0: awesome.
1: So hello and welcome to this episode of the podcast. Coming up in a couple of minutes, we'll have a chat with one of our top W20s, um, Scarlett Heap. We'll be chatting about the junior selection races that have uh, just been happening up at the Northern Champs. And a little bit on a topic that comes up quite regularly on the podcast, which is the kind of dropout rates and orienteering, especially for girls, but for girls and boys, um, when they kind of get to their late teens and early 20s. So we'll be getting her thoughts on that one um first of all will you have been abroad orienteering very very exciting mm. in um one of the big kind of annual sprint races it's become a bit of an annual uh, selection of section of sprint races that a lot of the elites go to over in belgium
2: yes yeah so for the first time in a couple of years i traveled overseas to a bit of racing which is very nice i went over to the antwerp orienteering meeting or ASOM for short so Uh, Train over on Friday afternoon evening Um, and the weekend consisted of there's a bit of training in the few days before it and a bit of training afterwards because in in the days after it, the Belgian team had their final selection races for the World Cup. So some people stayed on, did some uh, training racing afterwards, but essentially there's a two person relay on the Friday night consisting of legs going man, woman, man, woman. And there was 120 teams entered for that one. So that was pretty... Uh, ridiculous. In, uh, in the dark. It was pretty hectic and ridiculous. We'll get on to that. Um, on the Saturday, there were public races which had um, one sprint in the early afternoon, one sprint in the late afternoon. And for the elites, there was a knockout qualifier in the morning, then three rounds of knockouts, um, so quarters, semis, finals, which were very exciting. And um, then a world-ranking sprint race, or a bit of a longer sprint race in the... Um, on Sunday, on Sunday morning. And uh, yeah, it was a bit longer than normal, than the normal 12 to 15 minute time. I think it was about um, low 16s for Matty's mm-hmm. kibbets who won it. So, um, but yeah, very good weekend of racing all round. Nice, it, as you say, it's kind of become the go-to sprint racing event of the season. I think that and Bergen Sprint Camp and Mock mm. are probably three of the, the, the ones that you go to if you want to train and practice racing and sprint orienteering. But Assom really is a nice, chilled, low-key environment. You can get there very easily on, on public transport to every single race. And you don't need to hire cars or deal with any of that kind of stuff or drive long distances. It's all, I think it was the first, it was a 15 15-minute tram ride for me from my hotel. So it was, pretty, uh, cool. yeah, it was pretty, yeah. pretty perfect.
1: So what did we find out then about how people are doing what is the state of sprint orienteering like for international runners and for british runners as well
2: okay well i think for the brits we've come out of it in a pretty strong uh, strong way so on the friday we would have had two teams in the top 10 um we would have had three actually but i managed to miss punch and, oh, no. and, <laughs> and screw up for my team so uh, um i think it was won by the swiss they were first and third with a czech team in second and we had a one team in sixth, one team in eighth, and we would have had another team in the top six, which would have been my team, so I was part of the Ballast League. Um, on the third leg, I fell over on the run out and um, picked up... So there's four maps, and they're all on the same piece of paper. So I picked after I fell to get back onto the group that i have been sent out with, I um, picked up the map in a bit too much haste, picked up on the wrong side, and then did the wrong course without realising. So we did two of the Aww. same course which was a longer gaffle than I would have done anyway. So that was quite frustrating. Um, but that was, so that was really cool. That was freezing cold, it was snowing, <laughs> 120 teams starting in a tight three metre wide channel into straight oh into God. a 90 degree bend. Ouch. Out of a gate of the schoolyard. So it was <laughs> absolutely hectic and just completely chaotic, but brilliant fun because the gaffles were so why that you were just comp- crossing over people and you had no kind of sense had, of what no was going idea. on
1: yeah
2: absolutely no no so i was on the long i think that there was a there was a forking that went all the way out to um a nearby river um that i had on the first leg and i thought we were doing really well it was me chris jones and ricardo skillet who were kind of leading our train uh, got back towards the arena. I thought, oh, brilliant! We've smashed this. No problem at all. We're going really fast. And then another train comes in, nine degrees over side, chops us up and gets ahead of us. <laughs> Just didn't see anyone. Didn't see them. I didn't see the Swiss for the entire race until they finished on the fourth leg. I wow. don't know where they were. I should they'd given up. So <laughs> I don't know what was going on. If only. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> but it was really good fun. Um, it didn't help because they were wearing incognito kits. They weren't wearing the national kit. They were wearing brown tops and they were quite hard to see in the dark. Oh, um, yeah, that, so that stealth was really mode! I was used really to. Annoying. I used to
1: genuinely wear my South Central um, s- squad top sometimes because it's green and blue. When I wanted to not stand out in the forest, that would genuinely be a tactical <laughs> decision that I would used to make.
2: <laughs> well, I, so, I know Alexander Kratos did it for Long Night at Tiamila, He just wore all black and just a plain black top one year to to try and ward off people following him. Oh but that's,
1: that's a good idea. They still, they
2: still knew it was him. Well, but, uh, yeah. I think that's where the trend of dark variants of O-Tops have come from in recent years for so some Scandinavian clubs mm. for the night relays. Mm. So it is a bit tough.
1: It's not, it's not a bad idea. Um, it's not a bad idea. And then what about this knockout sprint? Because I was in, um, with a, sitting with a whole load of juniors at uh, Northumberlandia or whatever it's called, the Lady of the North, um, sat watching, um, being sent videos of the finish of the uh, knockout sprints by a club mate and keeping them up to date with what was <laughs> going on in those races. <laughs>
2: Yeah, so the knockout, so it was three heats in the morning, so A, B and C, top 16 would go through, so a couple more than normal um, would go through. I think the heats had about 45 people in them. Um, it was pretty tight to get through. I think it was a 20 or 30-second window, maybe, wow. to qualify through over about 12 minutes. I I made about 20-second mistake on my course. At which point I realized about halfway round, and realized I had to get a shift on from that point, and I just scraped in in joint fifteenth after <sighs> putting the hammer down at that point. So it <laughs> would have been quite realized. comfortably in. But yeah, I know. Oh God, it was it was close. So, so some big names missed out. Christoph Meyer from Switzerland. Um, I think Martin. Oh, did Martin help miss out? I think. Um, there was, yeah, Maxime Roturia, who got a World Cup silver medal in mm-hmm. in, Fra- in China in 2019. A few other names as well. So there were some big names to to miss out. And um, you then went into rounds of the quarterfinals had heats of eight and you did what's called the runner's choice. So for mm-hmm. everyone who's not familiar with that, you have 20 seconds in the final minute before you start. For You are showing three different course variants, which will appear somewhere on your course um, for 20 seconds and you, in that 20 seconds you have to look at all three segments and decide which you think is the shortest you then pick up you then have three maps in front of you when you go to start the course you haven't there's a screen between you and all the other races so you've no idea what they've picked you just pick up that map walk to the front 10 seconds to go then you start so the, you obviously look at the, when you're looking at the map going around the course you can kind of see okay the it was at control number four for this race sometimes it's right at the start sometimes it can be near the end uh, but this one was at control number four so it was quite early on and um you kind of i got to that con- control in about fourth place and it then transpired i had chosen the worst option oh, no. and came uh with along with the leader at the time so alexa Yemi. and my he, he was leading it he then came out he came out of the variant in about sixth place I came out in eighth place and from there the pace is so hot in these knockout qualifiers it's so 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 hard to overtake people back up
1: yeah
2: it's really yeah because you surge up to try and overtake them they surge as well so it's almost like you're just attacking each other and then you've got to try and make a route choice to get past them but everyone's Mm -hmm. so even on pace it's really hard to get past unless you really gut yourself so um I got yeah I then tried some couple of road, road route choices at the end to Jump back up and then finished in eighth place in my heat. So it was top three to go through from eight into the semi-finals. So we had one British guy go through. That was Chris Jones. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of people in fourth place, but he was the only one through for that. And then the women, we had um, Grace Malloy, Alice Leake, and McCarthy Davis go through into the semis. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the semis were pretty successful. So the semis, it reverted to a different format again. So that was a normal butterfly forking. Mm-hmm and the starts for the previous ones were remote so these then started in the arena so you had a bit of atmosphere with people leaving the arena, coming back through an arena passage nice. and then going through again so you saw them a few times um, I think it was pretty touch and go well it was very touch and go for Alice because she was the first heat off and there was a gate that hadn't been opened for them so she was in third place so this was heats heat of six and top mm. two to go through, mm. she was in third place at or in second place, at the um, at the point where the gate would have been opened. So then to do a long route round, the last person in last place actually opened it and then got through and then won the heat. So they let a few extra people through from that one, luckily. Mm. Um, I think Grace got a bit unlucky with a bad route choice near the end um, and didn't make it through. And then Megan won her heat quite easily and got through. Nice. So it was uh, Megan and into to the final. And then Chris, I think, had a bit of a bad start to it and the first two controls were then surged through and then got through to the final and uh, no problems at all Yep. and so in the final the it reverted to three brits and finals excellent stuff um, it reverted to a normal unfought course so as the fastest pace as was going to happen was going to happen in that race at the yep. final one of the day uh, and it was for both of them I think the pace was just hot like, it was hot it looked seriously hard so Meg and Elena Roos took it out in the women's race. And uh, from what I could tell, it was those two and Paolo Gross, also from Switzerland, um, who were just trying to run the legs off everybody else, as far as I could mm. tell. And, Alice, and then Alice kind of in, in fourth place. And I think, from what I could tell, right near the end, Elena Roos made a bad mistake and um, kind of dropped herself down from, set, from first to last. I'm not quite sure what happened, but she I think she made a bad route choice near the end or skipped a control or something. Um, and then Meg, yeah, so Meg took the win, which was excellent stuff. Wow. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it was very good. And then in the men's race, I don't think I've ever seen people orientate as fast as I've seen them in that men's You see, I've race. never it was um, actually spectated
1: one being there for a knockout sprint. Like, or maybe I have a couple, but, like, not... Because I'm kind of hidden away in a box. You don't, like... I'm not like a normal spectator there watching it. Yeah, And I just, yeah, it must've been amazing to just watch it.
2: It was, yeah, uh, it was crazy. So the way they were coming through at the end and the final lap after the spectator control, the speed of the kick of Matthias Kibbutz in the last two (laughs) controls was just unreal. He Mm. was like leaving, well, maybe not leaving Christopher dead, but, you know, he was, Chris Chris is a, a renowned, very fast runner, you know, under 14 for 5k, 28 minutes for 10k. He wasn't getting back on. Mm. And Matthias was just hammering. I was in the way of him, actually, going out at one point because I thought they were just turning into the finish. And it was terrifying how fast he was coming at me. I <laughs> <laughs> had to jump out of the way. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so did. Matthias Kibberz won that one. Um, Joey Hadorn was second and then Chris was Chris was third. So two Brits on the podium oh, cool. in the top three. Alice was on the podium of fourth as well in the... In the in the women's race so three on the podium so it was a top five podium at this one and yeah pretty good return I think for the end of the day for the knockout uh would have liked to have a few more a few more men in the in the semi-finals than than just the one but yeah it's pretty good the hectic so anyone who would like to go and watch a knockout definitely go and watch it because it's very entertaining
1: that sounds amazing and then still uh, quickly talk about those uh, one last race on the sunday then
2: one last race on sunday yeah so everyone was suit everyone who done the knockout was suitably tired yeah. um those who got knocked out in the qualifier or the quarters or the semis i guess you could also do the public races you could jump back into the public mm-hmm, races and mm-hmm. do them so um i then i then did the second public race after the quarterfinal to then get f- essentially a full day's knockout training in still yeah. some yeah, people that, skipped it idea. and re- yeah. recovered for the for the world ranking event the next day um yeah it was training weekend so you want to get as much training as possible so it was uh it was a bit of a mixed bag of who was the least fatigued i think <laughs> because it was such a long race and it was so flat and so and fast and so many races so in, you know
1: a... a night race on the friday the knockout sprint on the saturday and then a race on the sunday like they come, they don't they're not yeah it's not that thick and fast at world champs thankfully
2: no so it's yeah it was, it was five within uh 36 hours Five or six, yeah. Um, so that was, yeah, really flat, really fast. Um, nice technical bits, some cool bits in like a graveyard and things like that that they've mapped. Um, a really nice arena passage near the end, which was, so you got a bit of spectator um, enjoyment from it as well. And um, and there's some big long route choices, like, you know, two or three minutes for some of the legs as well. So that's quite cool. Um, and I think I just snuck into the top 40 in equal 40th on some pretty heavy legs from the day before. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, the same, in, uh, joint with the same person who I joined, uh, I came joint with in the, uh, in the qualifier on the Saturdays. So that consistent. was weird. Um, it, very consistent. Uh, so then Matias Kibbers won that one again as well. Um, I think second place was Thomas Heikula from Finland, who was a bit of a an known for me, but it's clearly running incredibly well. And then Chris came, I think Yannick was third, and then Chris was joint fourth, I think.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Something like that um so yeah so again uh, in the then that, that was in the men's race and then in the women's race we had a one-two for for meg and alice i think they were a second apart yeah and there i was, think I there, saw that. Alice that was a second ahead coming through the arena passage and then meg took two seconds out of her over the last 400 meters or so so that was a pretty cool end of the weekend i think to have three again the same three people on the podium on the sunday um was pretty yeah pretty nice
1: yeah, it's got to make you excited for those world champs just seeing that that form that, that they've mm. got. Not just that, that they've got good form, but that it, it stacks up against, you know, there were lots of the Swiss team there. Not all of the Swiss team. And obviously, you're still missing the Swedes, Norwegians, and like they didn't go. There were quite a few Finns, like, though, I saw. But still, like, it's seems to be a lot really of Finns. Well. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, a lot of Finns. Not too. Some of the French, not all of them. Um, not all of the Danes uh but yeah most of the Czechs a couple of Norwegians not many yeah like it was the main the main people you know were missing were on the women's side Tove, Simona Absold, Andrina Benjaminson Mm. and they're like the big three hitters and probably Caroline Olsen as well Mm. um and yeah I guess the, the Swedish men were missing too so they're you know they're gonna add some firepower
1: yeah they're all yeah, going to be exciting they're stuff all to going very up for it. But yeah, that, that sounds like such a such an amazing weekend. Um, we've got another load of sprint race. Well, another, I say load off. We've got another sprint race to come next weekend, the JK. We're going to talk about that. But first, let's hear um, about our main interview for today's podcast with Scarlett Heap. So Scarlett, thanks very much for joining us on the podcast. And um, we were both... Um, recently at the Northern Champs weekend up in the northeast, uh, yes. How did that go for you? Um, it was better than I expected. It, I've come a, uh,
0: come on a bit in a year, started training again in January um, and it paid off a bit, which was nice uh, to have some results. Although I was a bit disappointed that there were only, I think, four or five of us in the W20 age class. Um, so there wasn't my, much competition in that respect.
1: Mm. yeah we'll we'll come on to that um in a mo which was your favorite race of the three so we had a a sprint a middle and a long
0: so I think I enjoyed the long the most I really liked the middle but I thought it could have been a bit more technical I found it quite um running like as soon as you made a mistake you were sort of out of the Mm. top because it was quite easy yeah Personally, you could see open, everything, yeah. it was super open yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah, I knew I could see my first two controls before I even started. Oh, I was wow. going. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the long was a bit more technical and had a bit more root choice and was a bit more sort of in undergrowth, a bit more physical. Like, you need a bit more strength for it rather than just running ability. I don't know. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think it's too, the, the the middle distance area, it was basically like a grassy field, the whole thing. Like it was all very well grazed and it was like the most runnable thing that could yeah. exist, basically. And there was barely
0: any, any climb on it. I was expecting there to be a lot more climb from geeking the map beforehand. There was a wooded slope mm. um, near where the finish was on the day that I thought um, I was going to go into, but we didn't.
1: Yeah, I'm actually quite glad we didn't go into that because I had a control <laughs> right at the top of the slope and I looked down Same. and thought, yeah, well, I'm It really was close. quite vertical. <laughs> it was really steep. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I kind of guessed. But, but do you think you suit that, that tougher terrain then? Because I definitely do not suit that tough terrain for the long distance. It doesn't play to my strengths, but does it to yours?
0: Well, I mean, the areas I've got around me, my, my local forest, I can't do um under sort of 250 meters of climb in a 10k run it's impossible because it's mm. so hilly and mm. really muddy so what I train in isn't exactly I can't can't train on roads or flat anywhere because there isn't really so I would say yes although when I get into the lake district I really struggle on the hills those like steep steep climbs mm. not very strong on
1: no and the steep I, I right, it's so f- rocky as well that's why yeah with. I know, that's so un- so foreign to us Southerners, <laughs> all those rocks. <laughs> it really is. And you managed to get over all of the, like, fallen trees and everything. Yeah, you? that's what I'm talking about. I quite like that. Oh, I, okay. I quite
0: like the, like, rough underfoot. I feel like I could spring across it a little bit or, yeah, I try to.
1: <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. So I, I definitely felt like I was looking forward to the first two races a lot more mm. And then the last okay. race, I knew it was going to be a bit of a grotty forest. Like, they'd already mm-hmm. had to change it from Simon's side. I knew it was going to be yeah. a bit, bit rough. And yeah. therefore, my head just wasn't in it because mm. I kind of wasn't as pumped for the race because I wasn't expecting it to be as good. Can you yeah. relate to that? Uh, and maybe you were, yeah. you were feeling pumped for it. So you did well.
0: I... Um admit i hadn't done much geeking for simon's side so i wasn't i didn't
1: really know what i was missing <laughs> no, <neither. out. laughs> but
0: um yeah i was i wasn't expecting it to be very technical and I, I don't know if it was very technical i picked up my map though and i could not find the first control I, we had a one in fifteen thousand oh. map and on the map i think it was a6 or like the <laughs> the, the the image on the map was oh a6 oh my gosh And you could sort of barely see. The the first four controls were all in a big, like, mess. I couldn't tell which numbers related to what. (laughs) But worked it out eventually, yeah.
1: Yeah, I was, I was, I was thinking if I was the planner, I would have put loads of controls at the beginning because I knew we were going to head into like one of the more technical areas. Yeah, I saw that too. But I'm yeah. really glad I had one to ten thousand. Oh. Some people <laughs> had one in seven. Well, I 000. wasn't running the elite, so uh, yeah, I know some yeah. people had one to seven and a half. Ugh, I know it 10, looked so much nicer. Yeah, oh, that well. would have been ideal. That would have been ideal. And then I heard you. So you went round to look at some universities whilst you whilst you're up there. Um, How did that go? And how much does orienteering factor in your choice of university? Oh, that's a good question. I I only went to Durham and to Edinburgh.
0: um, And I think most people know that Edinburgh is the sort of centre at the moment for orienteering. It's got the biggest university club. um, And gosh, it definitely does weigh into it if you want to. A really pursue orientation because they have uh club night like they do uh sprint tra- or interval training on a tuesday i think or on one of the days in the week um and they do a lot as a club mm. i think they have a uh tour they have, in like, summer past the nights and stuff and yeah past night on a wednesday <laughs> <laughs> but i think they also have um a tour in the summer mm. uh yes I think they often go up to Aviemore or something like that. Yeah. I think they're going abroad. I think they're going to Croatia or something. That sounds good. But it definitely does weigh into it. But I think that it changes. Like, uh, when I was younger, Sheffield was bigger. I mean, Edinburgh's always been quite big. But I think it changes all the time which Mm. one's the main one. Mm. And it only takes a couple of people to go somewhere and then for the orienteering club to grow there. So, like, Cambridge at the moment is getting... Uh, it feels a bit bigger the club there yeah and oxford as well new- yeah yeah
1: yeah so yeah. so have you have you made your mind up about unis no, yet do you still not still- at all <laughs> <laughs> i the can't trips weren't enough to persuade you either way no i've got to do some more research and then hopefully i'll come to a decision <laughs> yeah um so you mentioned it um just now about how maybe four or five W20s um, mm. racing in these selection races over the weekend this is kind of selecting for uh, things like Jaywalk is it just Jaywalk for your age group or is it any other things
0: gosh I'm not entirely sure I, I know Jack I don't know if that's that it was a selection for Jack but mm. I know it's still a selection
1: race for, you yeah. know, for,
0: your, for your age well, group oh uh, uh, yeah it's for Gothenburg as well
1: ah yes yeah. yes exactly some of those for some Jay of those J Ross tours that go yeah. take place in the summer so yeah obviously I'd, I'm not expecting you to know any of the answers or to have any things. And, um, it's been a topic of conversation. It feels like has been starting to happen now in orienteering and it maybe happened for the last couple of years about why there is such a big drop off rate for people of your age. What, what yeah. would you put it down to or a few things?
0: Oh, I think there's so many things that come into it. Um, I think also we're in an unusual position having just had... Uh, having had to isolate um, mm. from COVID um, because there were no events. There was nothing to aim for and it sort of went out of people's minds that weren't completely um, obsessed with the sport. Um, yeah, so you lose
1: that momentum.
0: Yeah. I think for a lot of people, um, work, like, your your time becomes more valuable and they, people choose to do different things with their time. Like... Um, my little brother was talking about he has GCSEs and he has no time to do anything but I guess if you really really want it you can make time or he would be able to make time and sacrifice some gaming and uh
1: (laughs) but do you think people think they've either got to spend all their time on orienteering or none of their time on orienteering so for example if they've got loads of exams Mm. they feel like therefore almost all the orienteering has to go like you can't do it half-heartedly
0: oh no I don't think so I think for some people when they're doing exams is when they get the fittest because they need some sort of Mm. physical break from all the like uh focusing I found when I did my GCSEs I think I got quite fast because it was just your your lunch break you'd go for a run so you could move Mm. and that would be your exercise for the day and started doing a bit more then but yeah
1: yeah I think it's in quite individual So any other reasons you think that that might be influencing that dropout?
0: I think um, if people are not selected necessarily, or um, if they don't feel they're doing as well as they used to when they were younger, they lose confidence in themselves or they feel a bit embarrassed, I'm not entirely sure. But people um, who are good when they're sort of 12, 14, 16 it doesn't necessarily need to be because of hard training and hard work. It can be because of uh,
1: natural ability, possibly. And then yeah. when... I was good when I was 14 and I, like, didn't train. And <laughs> You're then still so... good now. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's because I now train. This <laughs> is so the thing. I didn't when I was... When I'd, uh, you know, like, won the British Champs when I was 14. And then yeah. that, was, that was still the peak of my <laughs> endearing achievements. <laughs> For a lot of
0: people, it is. But... Yes. um. I think when people start to train in an age class, um, it becomes this division of those that are training and those that not. Mm. And then or those that were naturally good. And then they start to drop off a bit because as you get older, the ones that were training would get quite a lot faster and Mm. better. And you couldn't just win on natural ability, um, or lifestyle. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's what I found.
0: Um, Yeah. (laughs) I think it's a lot of people find it. Yeah. Um, I think another reason is that I mean if people are in the sport for the wrong reasons and they just sort of want to be winning then they're not going to stick it out because you can't win everything they're not going to win every single race and I guess that also plays into the um if you're good as a youngster and it's natural ability if you're winning everything and then suddenly you are not winning and you're coming a bit further down the results, you might think, oh, I'm not good at it anymore. Or, mm. oh, it I saw a really me? good
1: quote on Twitter this week, which was like, it's it's not good to win everything because then your mm. athletes don't build up the resilience for then, you know, being able to cope with not winning later in life or mm. or things like yeah. that. Yeah.
0: I think you have to like the sport through thick and thin. Like you have to want to do the sport For the sport, like you, you have to enjoy it uh, for what it is, rather than enjoy the winning necessarily. Mm. I think that's a big thing. Yeah.
1: And how important is the social side of things as well? Oh god. Well, I think that's
0: also a main reason. Lot, or it is a main reason people stay with the sport possibly, Mm. because you make some really good friends, and sort of the camps start when you're fourteen. and you make friends then that you're sort of friends, like you make really good friends and then you know them for the next, like, I don't know, six years. <laughs> I'd go to uni with them and then you know them for ages. <laughs> but, yeah, um, yeah. Friends for life, exactly. Yeah. But if your friends are at an event, you want to go. So you see your friends. And it's really nice seeing there's such a big group of 14s at the moment, that mm. I think, all went to Lag and Lear. Um and they all hang out at every event. I'm like, Oh, it used to be us. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> but then you've got but, a, it's still an effort to kind of keep that going, you know, especially yeah. if you're as you said, like the ones who who don't get selected for those things, you know. Yeah.
0: I think if you're if you miss out on Lag and Lear or the earlier camps, it's quite difficult to get into the system or mm. to get into friend friendship groups. Um because everyone seems really close, everyone quite knows each other quite well. Um I think there was something my dad was talking about. SYO do weekly, I think on a Wednesday, club nights or something. Mm -hmm. And they're quite a social event. And there's lots of juniors in SYO. And I wonder if that is part of the reason that they want to come and see their friends on a Wednesday night. Um, So lots of people go and, I mean, look at their junior squad. It's paying
2: off.
1: Well, I think it's about building that social side at different levels that's not just Mm. these big tours these big camps that i think what is great with like things like talent south and talent north and talent scotland there's more there's more weekends that more people can get involved in and they, they go on weekends away and you spend time there and then you know regional squads doing stuff and if your club has a club junior squad then it's that kind of thing as well i think
0: yeah the new um Talent squad, I think that's what it's called. Mm. It seemed I coached on one. Uh, I think in February. Mm. I think it was, yeah, I'm not entirely sure when, but it was nice to see people that hadn't been on Laganlea either because of COVID or they just weren't selected, sort of integrating a bit more. And it seemed really, uh, it was a really social, uh, like everyone was eating together, sleeping in the same. Like
1: it was nice to see and. So why are you still doing it then like what has made the difference (laughs) for you why are you not one of those people in your age class who you know we're not we're not blaming them for dropping out of course like it's just a thing that happens but why you know you're up there amongst the top of your age group but you're not completely (laughs) at the top you know so like why is it important that you're still going um
0: I think one of Uh, Something that really helps is that my family does it. Um, And so my brothers are going to events, my parents are going to events, so I go to the events. But I also think um, I was good when I was like 16, 14, I don't know what age exactly, but I sort of hang on to that, that I could get back to that. Um, And I sort of had a year out when it was COVID. I didn't really train and there weren't really any events and I did really bad. I think I came last in the selection races. Um, and then for some reason I wanted to start training again this year. Uh, I, I don't know. I really enjoyed the social aspect of it and seeing everybody and going away in the summer um, on mm. camps.
1: But it could but, have been very easy for you just to say, Yeah, oh, yeah, was last in <laughs> all these selection races, haven't really been yeah. training very much, like that, that, that'll that, yeah. do. But, but I really enjoy it.
0: Yeah, I I really just enjoy being out. Um, the technical side um, combined with the running. Like, I don't find gen- like straight running that interesting. But as soon as you give me a map, I can't help myself. Even if I say I'm going to jog around a course. I think British Middles this year, I was really ill. I wasn't going to run. And 10 minutes before, I was like, oh, I'm going to try. I'll just jog around. I'll walk around. And I pick up the map and I can't help myself. I just sprint off. Yeah. Um, so I think I just really, really enjoy it, and that's probably why I've stayed in it. Uh, because I enjoy it regardless of where I come. Although that does help; it's a massive part of it. If you do well, you want to keep doing well and come back. But yeah, I've got good friends, so that's also yeah helpful. a good <laughs>
1: network. And so, what are what are your you know what are your goals in the sport? Like, if you're you're thinking mm-hmm. I want to be back to a level I was when I was sixteen, what, mm. what does that mean now for you?
0: Well, I mean, my aim for this year was just to get into Gothenburg. Not just. To get into Gothenburg. Mm. Um, I don't know. I'm not going to the JK, so I'm not sure if I'll be allowed to go because I haven't done all the selection races. But um, we'll see. Um, but it gave me a bit of hope this year. I was kind of seeing, like, because we haven't raced against each other for a while, mm. murder girls in my age class. And especially the ones above us, we haven't raced against them for ages because we had COVID when we were meant to be in the lower year. Mm. Um Lower at 18, I think. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, I kind of just wanted to see what I could do in a couple of months and see how much of a difference it made. And it really did make a di- Like, I was last the year before, and this year I, I mean, you, I was last on the middle out of four, but I was only sort of three minutes down on the lead. I, I might have been more than that. And then on the, on the long, I was second, still, I think, three minutes down. But that's mm. a lot closer than I was. So it gives me hope that, like, if I keep training, then I could like f- maybe go to something a bit bigger next year.
1: Yeah, Possibly. one year left to <laughs> being a junior, exactly. Yeah, but I guess May I guess well. that yeah. is that then seeing the benefits of the hard work you put in. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's often easy to like to train and you just feel like everything's the same, everything's the same, but you can you know almost like measure informally measure the fact that you are making progress and yeah. that always feels really good even if you're making yeah. progress at whatever level you're competing at
0: yeah 100% i mean it wasn't it's not a massive amount of training that i've started doing it's still like barely anything compared to some people but it's nice to see that even a little bit can make a difference and uh i think also competing with people because obviously there's not many w20s in the mm. south or like in my club that mm. i can compete against so like measuring myself off my dad or like random people at army events that i that beat me by a minute the week before
1: <laughs> I love having
0: I, that there's definitely
1: a few yeah. people who I'm always like looking at army no events and I go, yes I beat them okay <laughs> I love
0: army events
1: ah oh, me too well it, it allows Such you to events. get you know get an extra fix of orienteering in the middle yeah. of the week and the, I love the areas army areas are like one of my favorite kinds of areas Mm-hmm. well you uh, were we you, you oh you know because you were you must have been up north there was a race at windmill hill um this week and it was so much fun because oh. the area is the, is at its best quality it's been at for like at least five years or something oh. it's like the same time of year because it was used for the jk 2019 yeah so it's kind of same time day. as year as that so not all of the bracken has started growing up yet yeah but the brushings have been significantly trampled down since we raced at the JK, and the runnability was amazing. It was just a lot so of fun. Nice. But I think it was it's my so best one nice. I've had there. It was good. Oh wow! Yeah. Which course did you do? I did the blue. I was going in my oh. lunch break at work, <laughs> so I got back. I got back to the download, and um, they were like, Catherine. Why have you not run the brown today? Well, I have to go to work. You see, no, you're not you. So some these retired work. people who just go and they just don't have a job to do. Yeah, yeah. My grandparents go to every single army event. <laughs> oh, I mean, yeah, so So does orienteering run in your blood then? Well, in your, in your family, I mean,
0: it, I guess it kind of does, but it doesn't. Um, as in we started first and then the rest of the family started.
1: Oh,
0: okay. So, so how did you start then? Oh, it's so random. My neighbor was like washing his car or something. We never see them. And he was going to an orienteering event. This is in like, it must've been when I was 12 or 11. Um, and my dad was like, oh, that sounds cool. And he went along with Stan and they really enjoyed it. And then I think me, Tommy and mum went along to the next one. Mm. And then Stan caught the bug. He was like, he bought himself goggles, like (laughs) running glasses with lenses you could change. So sticks didn't go in his eyes. And he was like winning all the oranges around us. And then I think we started going because he was doing quite well. Mm. And then I think he won a middle distance, the British middles. And no one knew who he was. It was like, who's Stanley? (laughs) Um, (laughs) And so we were going along lots because of that, and then I think me and Tommy got quite good in our age classes, and then you get selected for things like Lag like and and then you keep going and <laughs> yeah, and the the family, the extended family started doing it. Cause yeah, and then your grandparents followed you that way. Then they were like, oh, yeah, well, we must my find grandparents, the yeah, they moved over from Australia, and. They'd already got dibbers, control description holders before they came over. No like, they way. were fully kitted out. Oh, my God. They could not wait to start. I, yeah. And the aunts and uncles, everyone does it. Uh, I think for the JK, there's about 20 of the heaps going. No way. Yeah, it's a massive event. They've, like, hired out a whole... <laughs> <They're> all, <laughs> a are they all <laughs> staying together? Yep. <laughs>
1: yep, yeah. yeah, they are. Oh, yeah. That's... That's pretty cool. That's that's that's, <laughs> that's one way to like up the participation numbers in Oregon. <laughs> Get the entire extended family involved. <laughs> so, can you remember
0: what got, what got you hooked then? Okay. Uh for me, I really liked the god. I really liked the exercise, but I wasn't thinking about it. Like I was running and I was just like out feeling all free in the forest and then it started to make a difference at school like I'd never been like that good but then I was like the fastest girl in like and it was making a big difference that way and so I really looked and then I think I started training because I was like yeah uh, I enjoyed that aspect but I think it's just so fun and it though the combination of uh the physical with the mental everyone talks about this but like yeah it's such a good combination
1: <laughs> yeah it's just it's not quite the same in, in any other sport I think no, at all. Um I agree yeah um so I know we've had a lot of chats you and I together about you being a female athlete like particularly and the like support you want from coaches and from people around you um like how important is it that you have kind of some female role models in this sport?
0: Mm. I think it's important in every sport um, to have female role models. I think it's also uh, makes a difference if you have female coaches um, because you can sort of, I don't know, look up to them. I think on uh, Lagunera I had Julie Emerson and Pippa Dakin. Mm. I remember thinking they were pretty cool. (laughs) Um, And like, it's nice to see... Cause sometimes it can be quite male dominated in the coaching department and it's nice to see, um, or to have a woman coaching you, um, because possibly they understand the way your body works and the way, um, is
1: for you. Yeah. Um, And I think there's a lot of like, if you can see it, you can be it. You know, you've got those, uh, that's a lot where they try to bring in those younger coaches to those kind of training camps so yeah. you can get that inspiration of, Yeah, oh, they're just like me. I can also do whatever.
0: Yeah, it's more relatable than uh, having... I mean, some there's such great coaches that are the older guys, like oh, oh, Nev, Don, they're all amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but sometimes as a young, if you're a 14-year-old girl and having just older men coaching, it can be a bit daunting and they might not open up or talk about what they're um, trying to... They might just be a bit shy of talking. More yeah. shy, not shy. Yeah, I um, think I think and if like you gotta, especially at lag in
1: there. Yeah, exactly. And you know, your body's changing a lot, you've got to think like how you might train around a period, you've got to think about mm-hmm. like how your training just might be different, structured differently in terms of what what sessions you're doing or what um strength work you're doing, then that's yeah, I think really important to have be able to have that.
0: Yeah, it's really nice. Um the southeast squad coaches i'm not in anyone too old (laughs) but um (laughs) but um angela darley and carol um have been really good i've spoken to angela quite a lot about the whole um selection races being uh, if you have your period at a selection race uh if you can notify selectors is it even allowed to do that is that does that count for anything Mm. i mean i still don't know the answer to any of it but it's for some people that sort of lying in bed and can barely move and what if a selection race is on that day are you can you notify someone is there someone you can tell
1: yeah just had some conversations yeah can you factor that into account that that's gonna you know different different not even just when you're on your period but like different times is going to affect your physical ability in in different ways. yeah I
0: mean there's lots of science that shows your focus levels um decrease or for lots of people when you're on your period your ligaments like so your body changes so much if you're on your period and so for example selection races i think might have been a year or two years ago were on the say what all for the three races were on one weekend and that was it that was all the selections Mm -hmm. i think it was after covid so there's not much they could do about it but if you'd had your period on that weekend then it's kind of like (laughs) and if it affects you badly then you're sort of out yeah. yeah regardless of how much you've trained for the last year
1: yeah
0: and, and now people...
1: it's much better now that they're like three weeks apart it should hopefully work yeah yeah people, much anyway. better yeah I just I just remember very clearly like one time you saying it was great that you felt like you had some young female coaches to come to and to to talk about things yeah. whether that's also like body image or um pressure on on you as a young athlete or how you're training or like the mental health aspect of orienteering um that it was good to have someone to to talk to about
0: yeah it's really nice I mean I'll happily talk to anyone really regardless of their gender (laughs) I don't really mind but I think for some people it makes a big difference um and I think it's important to like uh there's a big difference between how men should train and how women should train or how uh yeah our bodies are so different and having a female coach um you can possibly ask more questions that they might they might know the answers a bit more they might be able to help with a training program or
1: yeah. Some well, sometimes we, we can at least them. empathize even and then look for yeah. the answers even if we don't yeah. like know initially despair can, like, over help. the
0: same thing <laughs>
1: exactly <laughs> exactly what do you um make about the whole kind of course distances um debates so obviously mm-hmm. the we've just had the IOF doing their survey about um where people of all ages ha- have been asked to respond and and all genders been asked to respond to um the questions about whether the course winning times should be the same and then what should they be should they be like what the men are currently have as winning times or what the women currently have or somewhere in between what do you mm. make of it um
0: just quickly I was just thinking it could be another reason that people could drop out is mm. to do with the course distances as you get older the distances get a lot longer and the course are more physical and some people can't like, you need to have some base level of fitness to be able to complete the courses. Yeah. And I know I know. there's long and there's short that you can do But other people than don't elite. do
1: them in your... There's quite like a few in just for the JK. The
0: oh, are there? Okay. But it, yeah, but it means that if you look just at the elite class, it looks like a lot of people are dropping off. Mm. And I think a lot of people are dropping off, but then a lot of them also are
1: doing the other courses, which is absolutely fine. Yeah. But and that should be encouraged, a, I think. So you yeah, go, yeah. So there's no shame in doing the shorts. Not and at all, almost yeah. almost more people do it and you get a better competition and you... Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, side note. Um, <laughs>
0: but with, in, in, in the difference distance. of
1: winning times, what do you make of that?
0: Yeah. So I personally
1: don't know. Like, <laughs> as in I
0: have not competed at an elite level like that or anything. No, but um, you've
1: competed... Where you have had different winning times to the boys. Yeah. I think there's
0: lots of um, women that have different opinions. It's not like all
1: women think that the courses should be longer. Oh, or all yeah. Should be. There's definitely but a lot. I think that, yeah. yeah. Which I think it's is why quite... I'm glad they're doing the survey.
0: Yeah. Um, I personally don't think that the times should be longer or the distance should be the same as the men's because uh, you'd be out for eight. I I don't know. I've just don't think that the distances should be the same. Um, But I I think orienteering
1: orienteering is measured in in time rather than in distance, though. Like, it's never... Because if you're looking at different championships in completely different terrain, it should never Mm -hmm. be a 10K race. It should always be a 90-minute race or something. You always get um, people asking, oh, how far do you run? And it's like, oh, well, it's always (laughs) always different.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and then, then they're
1: like, hang on, you run... 6k in like 55 minutes and you're like What's wrong with (laughs) this? Yeah. They're like, how (laughs) slow are you going? I'm like, well you tried to do you tried to do that fast. Go on then. Yeah, good luck. Um
0: with the course winning times, I was thinking if you have some like sort of outstanding athlete. And the winning time is based on them. Like, I think there has to be some kind of consideration taken into the fact that, like, if the win is going to take a certain amount of time that's quite long, 10th place is going to be what it could be another, like, 20 minutes. Like, you don't mm. know. And then yeah. people coming last could be out there for hours on, like, long the long distance or whatever. And I don't know if that comes into it at all or if uh, it's just done off the winning
1: i think some i've heard some chats about it should be like the average of the top x numbers yeah. of athletes and that should be what we are looking at rather than the actual just the winner's time
0: yeah i heard that as well but winning time just does make sense though doesn't it because it should be the the time that people are aiming for or like the fastest time to complete mm. the course would be this yeah and i don't know how they set them how they set the winning times
1: but well, yeah, it's what how they decide what number it should be.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure. If I don't know. Yet. It's just
1: been written in the rules for for a long time, and then when they come up with the new disciplines, like when the middle distance was became a thing in sprints, they just they set they set yeah. a number. But I'm
0: also thinking about how they measured the winning time. As in, like they're not going to know. You can't just say, oh, for 10k, the winning time is going to be a 45 minutes. Yeah. Uh,
1: Well, always different, they try and I think a lot of the international races, they they will get people to pre run it. And so they will get Ah, a chance. And I know I think I heard something about the obviously the winning times at this year's British long distance champs were quite long. A lot of people were out a long time. And I think they they said it was very hard to estimate because it was a completely new area. And so they didn't really know what times people were going to kind of run it. In. Yeah, so I think they used, like, yeah. times at Hindhead, which is an, an area close by, and they were kind of looking at that um, in order okay, to... Okay, so they look estimate.
0: at past events and things.
1: Yeah, but then I mm. remember, for example, I think in the Czech Republic for the World Championships, they were looking at people running one single leg of the long distance, but they weren't factoring in the fact that, obviously, you're not going to be running that pace around the whole course. And the
0: runnability changes around the whole course.
1: Yeah. Or you're going to have to, you won't necessarily be taking the fastest route to every Mm -hmm. single control because actually your priority was then saving energy. So they might have added up all the like fastest times for each of the legs, but someone actually running that whole long distance course will not take the fastest route to every control because you also want to save energy. Yeah. So it sounds very complicated.
0: I oh, know I could not make the decision or <laughs> yeah.
1: No, well this is why I think you know it's a debate that's gonna kind of like keep going and keep going. Yeah. It's is not, not really an answer. No, no. And that's that's why why it's quite tricky. What is the currently the best thing about orienteering and what is the thing you think orienteering most needs to change? Um Gosh, I think I really
0: like the whole um, there's a lot more juniors being included at a high level um, as in the talent squad has expanded lots. Yeah. And I think that gives uh, people a lot more opportunities and gives more people opportunities to uh, compete at a high level because mm. uh, they're receiving the training that that only a few were receiving beforehand. Yeah. Maybe not to the same degree, but still a lot better than. Um, not many being
1: included. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Yeah. What what could change? Um, what
0: could change? I still think that... Um, well, personally, I feel that there's... Obvi- obviously, there's not enough people doing it at the moment. So I think something needs to change to increase the participants in the sport and uh, enrol new athletes and at all ages as well, not just as young at, like... Uh, tens and twelves that then get good Mm. but people can join at 16 and probably get quite good it doesn't take that long to get good at navigating so yeah i think there needs to be some not drastic but something definitely definitely needs to change to uh, improve the sports image possibly i mean i don't know if it would affect it if it this is another big debate yeah. <laughs> if, in the Olymp- if if it gets into the olympics the awareness i don't think many people know about it like it's not a very well known sport and a lot of people you say you're
1: doing touring to they're like oh, so you walk around with a backpack and... Yeah, like,
0: people no. people have heard of
1: it, but they, they equate it with something that is not orienteering. Yeah, and they, they equate it with
0: the pin punches if they do know, it, like, broadly one it. Or, like, they see their local, uh, like, permanent orienteering course and they think that, like, oh, I run around that on a Saturday and it's, like, not quite. It's all electronic and it's all... Mm. There's big events and... So, yeah, I think the publicity... I mean, I know people are working so hard to... Uh, get it out there more but i don't know what more people can do but i do think if it was in the olympics so obviously so many more people would know about it yeah. and i find it really exciting to watch there's the whole argument that uh, it can't be filmed um but the world champs in the uh i don't I can't remember what there was some kind of sprint event that was on recently some kind of knockout relay it wasn't recent it was a while ago it might have been yeah maybe one of the I'm world camps, sure. something like that yeah but it, it was definitely it was the european champs there was a yeah.
1: sprint yeah
0: that was what it was. It was so exciting. And mm. I don't know if that's just because I I'm tier, but I think a lot of people would find it exciting.
1: Oh, I hope so. I hope so. Yeah, I yeah. always get the question of like, when people find out I commentate on our and they're like, how does that work? I'm like, well, we yeah. can put trackers on people and we see them yeah. at points. Like it does actually work. It yeah. does actually happen. And um try and make it exciting. <laughs> no, it is. It
0: is. It makes such a difference, all the commentary. And especially having the this is another side note, but the Tanoy at big events, oh, um, yeah. having commentary on the run. And I remember being mentioned when I was like 12 and it was like the highlight of my year. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh good. Um, It's such a, yeah. And then you like want to keep doing it. So, <laughs> so you get mentioned or I don't know. It was just, it's, yeah. it like makes the sport seem a lot uh, more put together and bigger and exciting, like elite, exciting. Yeah,
1: know. it makes yeah. it feel like it's not just a little local event that you're going yeah. to on a Saturday 100%. it's like a proper big event and yeah I want to try and give as many people a shout out as I can it, it, it's, <laughs> it's good fun I remember that feeling as well It's like oh, they said my name <laughs> they know me they <laughs> know who I am it's um, too good. so yeah I love I love doing that um so let's kind of Finish up, um Scarlett. Well, I I know you, you're heading abroad for 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 a little bit very soon, and then I am. Uh, yeah, sounds yes. very exciting. I can't wait. It's gonna be forty degrees though, so I'm not sure if I'm excited. About you're going that. to <laughs> Thailand? Is, is that what you said? I'm going to Thailand, Cambodia, and Vietnam. Yeah. Oh, very exciting. Yeah. I'm gonna be very jealous. And then, sh- And then get back and do lots of orienteering. Do you think things like. You were at Lag and Lear, um in the summer. You, you said you'd done some coaching from Talent South, and do you think that is going to feature a bit more in your um, in your orienteering life over the next few years?
0: I I definitely really enjoyed the coaching, um, and I think I'll definitely I definitely want to keep doing that. Unfortunately, O clashes with Laganlear this summer, That's so all is. of us. Uh, it's so annoying. We all really wanted to go because everyone the coaches that did it last year like it was the best week I don't Mm. think I've laughed so much in ages like it was so much fun and we all wanted to go again but we can't this year which
1: is unfortunate but yeah I've got lots of orienteering planned this summer (laughs) oh well enjoy it enjoy it I'm looking forward to uh, a summer filled with orienteering as well so best of luck with that and uh Climbing back up the rankings as well in your in your W20s. Ah, Yay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So, thanks to Scarlett for uh, chatting to us on the podcast. It was really great to hear from her, her perspective as a young person in, in orienteering and someone who is maybe is just a couple of years away from becoming a senior um, about all the different, uh, you know, her hopes for the sport. Um, Will, though, we, uh, I want to look forward now to the JK because that is coming up very, very shortly as one um, the sprint selection race for yourself. Um, my prep for the JK involves looking up a lot of past results to try and find out about you all so I can do some half-decent commentary. Um, Will, what does your prep look like right now? We're, we're a week out, less than a week out.
2: Um, yeah. My my prep is trying to recover from three weeks of illness that I've just had, uh, and and get enough sleep to try and fi- finally feel like I'm not coughing up my guts every single day, which is I think uh, the fr- the Friday um, after Asom was the first day I felt like a normal human being, so that was nice. Um, yeah, so it'll be just you know I guess probably just uh, start to rest up a little bit, maybe drop the mileage slightly. Um, you know, do a final hard interval session a few days out from the sprint race. Shake um, out in the morning of the sprint. I think driving down Friday morning, I guess. And mm-hmm. Then uh, that's what I'm doing. A lot of looking at yeah, you know, a lot of looking at past maps from a, a few of the areas were used at, for the 2014 JK. So mm-hmm. um, you know, looking at past maps there, previous routes, so you get a good barometer of what routes were good from the 2014 edition. Um, just trying to suss out where the arenas are you know where likely courses may go arena passages all that kind of thing um and just get yeah try and get familiar with how they'll be mapped because the forest races on the open moorland are going to be quite unique technically it's a lot of old mining Mm. um terrain up in the welsh hills so it's there's a lot of complex detail which i think they're going to simplify quite a lot Mm -hmm. um because it's a bit too complex for the map so it's how are you going to interpret what isn't going to be there and and getting your head around that so that that i think is going to be a tricky one so yeah a lot of looking at maps a lot of me trying to recover um yeah just pack up and tick up tick off all the work by thursday 12 o'clock so you can have a chill thursday afternoon i think
1: Oh, that's the that is a a good plan. Good luck on it happening. There's a
2: <laughs> top top tip there, yeah. <laughs>
1: and um, who are your main rivals then? Who who have you My been to watch main... out for?
2: Ah, uh, well, ooh, yeah, good question. So, in the sprint, I think they're quite uh, clear. Um, it'll be, I would say, the big rival and probably big favourite is Chris Jones because mm-hmm. not only is he currently the um in the best shape of all the sprinters in the uk uh, he also planned the sprint last time it was there for the 2014 jk so he's quite familiar with mm-hmm.
1: the map <laughs> yes.
2: um so i'd say chris johnny crickmore Sasha chaplin nathan lawson um chris Smivard. you've I don't know if there's I haven't really looked at start in too much detail so I'm not sure if any foreign people are coming over for it so but I'd say those six are probably quite uh, probably the main group uh, Peter Hodgkinson as well probably um, maybe some of the Edinburgh lot or the young guys like Pete Malloy or someone like that um, for the sprint and for the forest I think you then throw in um, Ali Thomas Peter Bray Um, I think Graham Griswood and Hector Haynes are skipping the sprint and then just focusing on the forest. They'll be nice and rested by the Saturday as well. So I'd say throw them into the group. Mm -hmm. Um, Ollie Johnson as well. He's always dangerous because, as he proved at the British Champs, he was not very far off a medal. And then for the women, I'd say it will be a collection of, for the sprint, Medcar Davis... Alice Leake, Charlotte Ward, they seem to be running very well. Grace Malloy as well. Um, Cecilia Anson. Cecilia yep. Yeah, um, Kirsten Maxwell as well for kind of a, a top six grouping. Uh, then I'd add in uh, probably Fiona Bunn, Joe Shepherd. I'm not sure if she's coming over for yep, it. Yep, she is coming over. She's entered, yep. I'd, yeah, then I'd, I'd expect her to do pretty well. But yeah, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I think there's a lot of people who could do very well this year mm. um it's quite a different terrain to previous years or well, there's not really been i guess there has been quite a bit of open moorland in the in um recent years but it depends a lot on the weather for the long distance on the sunday Oh god, the, yeah. if it if could be really exposed and really awful yeah, yeah yeah it could be horrendous um And you can, you can, I mean, often in these open areas, you can see a long way as well. So Mm. you can sometimes see your 12, your 12 minute man (laughs) up the hill in front of you. Um, But in the, in the mine works on the Saturday, maybe it's just going to be too complex and you're not going to see anyone at all. Yeah. I think there's lots
1: of, you know, lumps and bumps. You're going to be, yeah. Hiding behind different, all of these different spurs and reentrants and everything. So I think that one is really good. Um, That's the one I think. It should be really good fun. I most wish I was running. That makes sense
2: yes i I think that's gonna be really cool it's just gonna be one of those one way if you're not on it all the time you will make a mistake yeah yeah and it's gonna be who the the winner will be the person who makes the least mistakes it's not mm-hmm. gonna no one's gonna have a fully clean run
1: I don't think that's so. my prediction I don't think so oh that's yeah. your prediction oh well I'm very excited um I hope to see lots of people there um I think the entry list is mm-hmm. looking uh nice and big and um it'd be it great is. to yeah just to get the jk back again first time in three years ah i'm so excited i just especially having just had the british long distance and seeing lots of people there but knowing how many more people will will travel that extra distance to come to the jk and actually recently at work Mm. i've had to set up some radio shows for what happens at the uh, for um over the easter weekend and i genuinely had to ask people what do normal people do at Easter weekend? Because <laughs> I you? just, it's always orienteering. It's always the JK. So It's was like, what do normal people do? Um, they just don't do orienteering. I don't know. There we go. <laughs> anyway, uh, I think we'll leave it there. Um, I hope to see lots of people at the JK. I hope you enjoy it. And we'll be back very soon with another podcast.